0: Welcome to Beyond This Point. I'm Gabriel Stromberg, Creative Director of Civilization. So, what is the point of Beyond This Point? The inspiration for this podcast really came about through our studio, being so inspired by those around us who we work, collaborate, and engage with—artists, business owners, designers, and leaders of all types— we recognized the value in having access to these distinct perspectives and wanted to create a conversation that puts a spotlight on different ways of seeing, thinking, and making. One of the primary themes of this podcast is the ability of people in different creative fields to utilize art, design, and creative thinking to impact the world around them in a positive way. My guest on this episode is Robert Vasquez Pacheco, who continues this theme through the work he's done as part of the art activist collective Grand Fury. During the 80s and 90s, Grand Fury was at the forefront of the fight to end the AIDS crisis, serving as ACT UP's unofficial propaganda ministry. Through a dynamic hybrid of bold street level graphics, information focused discourse, and artful political critique, Grand Fury championed knowledge empathy, and action amidst a public and political climate of misinformation, discrimination, and silence that existed around AIDS and HIV at the time. Grand Fury's dynamic protest graphics tackled issues of sex, class, race, gender, and politics, and through these graphics, Grand Fury sought to support and empower those most marginalized by the early AIDS epidemic, namely New York's gay community. We had the opportunity to sit down with Robert while he was in town for the closing of Art AIDS America, an incredible exhibition launched by Tacoma Art Museum in partnership with the Bronx Art Museum that explored the artistic response to the AIDS crisis. Grand Fury's work was showcased along works by Keith Haring, Barbara Kruger, Felix Gonzalez Torres, and Annie Leibovitz, among others. And now, let's go beyond this point. So in order to appreciate the impact of Grand Fury's work, I think it's important to understand what was happening at the time in the mid-80s. Could you talk about the circumstances that led to the formation of Grand Fury?
1: Grand Fury uh, came out of ACT UP. Uh, What happened was on, I think I have the date right, on July 3rd, 1980, the New York Times came out with an article that said four homosexuals Seen with a rare cancer. And that many people say that was like the first official mention of AIDS. It was done by Lawrence Altman in the New York Times. And I remember reading the article on the beach i was on it was on i was on jones beach uh, with my boyfriend at the time and so we were flipping through the times and it was like hmm that's weird. a rare cancer in hmm, homosexuals oh but it's in san francisco we don't need to worry about that the, the gay men in san francisco everyone knows they're sluts we're not going to worry about it. so so and and for a long time in new york that was part of the attitude in the gay community people were hearing about rumors about what was happening out west and then then we started hearing about it in, in the East. Um, my, my partner actually was diagnosed with KS in, in September of 1980, which is at, at the beginning of the epidemic. That's when we started seeing all of the various diseases, opportunistic infections that no one had, had never seen before. I mean, Kaposi sarcoma was a cancer that um, affected old Mediterranean men and Jews. And suddenly there were young gay men who were um, suffering with this cancer. So what happened was in 1987, Larry Kramer made uh, a speech. I think it was at the, the Gay and Lesbian Community Center. And he said, he talked about, he said, what is happening here? You know, we're being killed. And no one is doing anything about it. And that speech led to the formation of ACT UP. Um, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, and not too long after that, ACT UP did their first protest in um, Wall- on Wall Street, where we shut down Wall Street. After that, um, not too long after that, Bill Olander from the New Museum, who was an ACT UP member, he was a curator at the at the New Museum of Contemporary Art, and he he told us he he came to ACT. Act Up, and he said, listen, we have the windows on Broadway. You can do an installation on the windows on Broadway if you'd like to. And so Act Up being sort of the chaotic democracy that it was, it was like, okay, we, it's a room full of All right, how many people want to do this? And for a lot of the artists that were there, everyone, yes, you know, now I can actually use my skills to do something. Right before Larry Kramer's speech, um, a poster showed up in downtown New York, which is the very famous Silence Equals Death poster. It was actually done by a, a, a four or five gay men that call themselves the Silence Equals Death Collective. They designed it they, and they, they des- decided to distribute it. They put it up in New York. They went to the first ACT UP meetings and said, take it, you guys use it. And so that became sort of the, the ACT UP logo, if you will, was Silence Equals Death. And so um, after, after that, when we did the window, the window consisted of a neon sign that said that had the "silence equals death" triangle and the and the text, and an LED readout that gave statistics and information. And then um, there was a huge photo mural of the Nuremberg trial in the back of it, and then in front of it. Were concrete slabs with statements from a variety of people, like William Buckley, like Jesse Helms, like Ma- Margaret Thatcher, you know. And um, the best was there was also, uh, and they had images of them in front of the slab, um, behind the slabs, I should say. What I thought was brilliant was they also had Ronald Reagan there, but the slab that had Ronald Reagan was blank, because the president had not said anything about AIDS. So uh, until seven years into the epidemic is when, when there were about 16,000 people that had, been, uh, had died is when he finally said, you know, sort of, he said publicly, well, you know, maybe we should look into this. Actually, what I loved is he, he, wanted to, he wanted to see how this epidemic had penetrated American society, which we were like, really, really, Ron? <laughs> so what happened was Grand Fury was, there were all these people that came together and said, okay, we want to continue working together. But a 50-person collective is not particularly effective. So what we did was, um, well, what Fury did, because that came a little later, um, what happened was that people were starting projects, and so you might have 30 people there to start the project one week, and then the next week you might have 15 people who were there the week before, but there are 20 people who weren't there who decide they want to do something else. So that kind of chaos said, we can't do this. So the fury uh, closed ranks and said, we're going to become a collective. We're going to be a separate collective. We're going to be part of ACT UP. We were first in what was called an affinity group. Um, and we said, well, we're going to work and do our stuff. We'll, and we'll, you know, we will, we're all members of ACT UP. We will use ACT UP. We'll feed information, you know, they will feed us information. We will do stuff for them. And so that's how the relationship started um, for us. We were called the propaganda wing of ACT UP. But we weren't the only ones that were doing work, which is one of the things that uh, uh, people don't forget. Uh, Douglas Grimp and Alan Ralston wrote a book called AIDS Demographics. And he, what he did was he showed all of the work, or uh, at least up to that time, he showed all of the work that was coming out of ACT at that time. So uh, uh, yesterday I showed the the one that's Know Your Scumbag with with uh, Cardinal O'Connor on it, and a, and a variety of pieces that were there. like. Um, and so what we had were a lot of graphic designers that were there, and a lot of people that were advertising who were actually designing stuff. There was, there was a guy who, was, who lived in Jersey who had a silkscreen factory, and he would make all the t-shirts, and he would silkscreen all the, all the signs and stuff like that. So it was a real collaborative process. And, um, and then after that, Fury him, started to work. What we saw was that we had some connections to the art world. And we said, well, let's use the connections, and that's how we became sort of Grand Fury, the art entity, if you will.
0: And, and how did you personally become involved with
1: the group? Creative Time, which is a arts funding, public arts funding group in New York City, wanted to do something about AIDS. Um, C. Brown, who was the director there, w- went to the initial ACT UP meetings, and, he, and so he wanted to do something. And they had had there was a show that was around the city. With a, I forget how many museums were participating, but El Museo del Barrio, which is up up in Spanish Harlem, was was participating, and so he said, "Listen, why don't we do this? You know, why don't you guys do something in El Museo?" Which everyone sort of freaked out about. We can't do that. All right, all right, all right. I'll do it. I will do it. So so I helped to pull together uh, some of the work with uh, Deb Levine, who was working at Creative Time and a, a group of other people. And what we did was we did, there was a corridor in El Museo. The only thing in the corridor was a 15th century baptismal font from Mexico or something like that, one of the first ones in, in, in this part of the world. And what we did was we took um, the directions from a condom, wrapper, you know, when you'd, you'd buy the box of condoms and it'd give you the little paper that had the information about how to put on a condom with the drawings and everything. We translated, in, translated them into Spanish, blew them up like 10 feet by 5 feet or something like that, and plastered the wall with them. And then in the baptismal font, we put condoms. And so the fun part was that every day the museum staff would take the condoms out. And someone from ACT UP would show up Put the condoms back <laughs> in the font, you know. And we kept doing this. It was bad. It was up for like a week or something like that. And they finally said, "You can't do this. This is like a fifteenth century, you know." And I, went, what and I remember saying to them, is "This is what is this like a relig- religious relic? You know, it's not a relic, all right. So get over it." And so, <laughs> so we did. So we did that. And so what happened was that there was then a show, one of the first shows about artists. It was called "Artists Respond to AIDS." It was done at the University of ohio and cleveland and because i had done that piece i went to um i was invited to go to the to that conference there was a a panel discussion on the panel discussion was tom kalin who was was a member of grand fury um i made the comment we were talking about a variety of things and i said well you know I said, I I like the work that, you know, I like some of the work that Fury's done, but, you know, I said, I feel uncomfortable because it's it's really just a bunch of white guys. And so, strangely enough, um, you know, sometimes what you, you know, what you say comes back to bite you in the ass. Because then when I got back to New York, I got a call from Fury saying, do you want to become a member of Grand Fury? At the time I I wasn't interested. I had worked in design. I had worked in lighting design and I had worked in residential stuff um, in the beginning of the 80s, but I wasn't doing that work anymore. So um, and but I said, all right, if I don't if I don't say yes, no, they're not gonna offer it to anyone else. I said, so let me let me do this. So I became a member of Grand Fury. And um, there were 10, 11 of us at the time there. And um, I worked with them from what, from 88 until, I mean we worked from 88 till 94.
0: We think of Grand Fury as a creative entity, but I think what makes their work so successful is this combination of um, of, of information of uh, being so well informed on the issues, and then that combined with really sophisticated messaging, and that with uh, combined again with a really cutting edge visual style. So I feel like there's this kind of collaboration, uh, a very collaborative enterprise happening. So could you talk about the collaborative process of Grand Fury? How did you merge the act of educating and informing with the creative side so seamlessly?
1: We, uh, Grand Fury, as I said, Grand Fury w- had um, ten individuals. Now it's still ten. Now, um, two were graphic designers, who mm-hmm. literally had an advertising agency and did ads. Um, one was a videographer and a photographer. Um, one was a nurse. I worked in education and treatment and one, let's see, one was a painter and we had a writer. We actually were a group of very highly educated, highly neurotic individuals that came together to do this. So everyone was able to work together. Um, we were fortunate because we had, I mean, we had um, two amazing graphic designers, uh, Marlene McCarty and Donald Moffitt. And this is this is really back in the day when you used when you did letra set and pressed on letters and you did mechanicals, which, probably, you know, some people listening to this will have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, it's a very labor-intensive process. So what we would do is that, that we would, there were those of us who would go to the ACT UP meeting. We'd hear about what was, what was discussed on the floor, some, uh, some issues that were percolating up from the floor. And we'd say, okay, there's something we need to address here. For example, in our piece that said, women don't get AIDS, they just die from it. Um, at the meeting, we had heard, the, the discussion was that the CDC had not changed the definition of AIDS and just had based the definition of AIDS on symptoms that were were exhibited by men and not by women. So women were not getting access to the treatments that were available or getting getting any kind no one was paying attention to what was happening with women at all because they weren't manifesting the, the um, symptoms that men were. So we heard this at the meeting came back and said, guys, listen, we can do that. Let's do something about this. Then when we did that, then what we would do is look around. Um, We were funded by the art world. We were very fortunate that at that time in the epidemic, nobody was doing really anything about um, AIDS visually or graphically at all. I mean, artists were working individually, but the institutions had no idea what to do. So what we did was we stepped in at a very fortunate time to say, oh, you know, if you give us $10,000, we can, you know, make you an AIDS art, you know, an art piece for you. Um, And so we did, for example, in that one with Women Don't Get AIDS, we did bus shelters Mm -hmm. that went up in L.A. And um, stipulation for, for our work was always that it was public. It had to be public. And if it was not, public, and if, if it wasn't visible sort of from the street or on the street, then it had to be what we called a strategic interruption. It had to be placed in some place that you would not expect to see something like that. So, for example, for the for the kitchen, in the program, um, in the middle of the program, it's it, they were doing awards and performances. In the middle of the program, we put a piece that said, 42,000 people are dead from AIDS. Art is not enough. And so... And it was it was very effective because people people were sitting there like we're not expecting to say that and to see that kind of information there. So I think that the combination of getting information from ACT UP and then the amalgam of both individuals and sort of um, disciplines were able to come together to be able to produce work. So we would fight over stuff. We, I mean, it, uh, what you see usually in the, everyone's like, God, you guys are so succinct. Yes, because we spent four weeks on it, arguing about this word as, as opposed to that word, and, and that's, how, that's sort of the level of detail that we did. And that we liked to use advertising imagery. When we did um, the poster Kissing Doesn't Kill with the three couples, that's based on a Benetton's ad. Mm that came out at that time. Benettons was doing those ads with the white background and the, and, the, and the variety of people. So we did it as a Benettons ad. When it went out, people started calling Benetons, both to complain and to sort of applaud what they had done. And Benetons had no idea what they were talking about. So they had to do some research and then they decided not to say anything. To us, we were fortunate that way. We did we we did things like that that we got away with because no one no one said we're not gonna you know we're not gonna sue the people that are doing AIDS graphics. That would just sort of
0: be a, um, not cool. So you know, when mentoring uh, younger designers and students, we often use Grand Fury's work as an example of how to use design to tackle really tough issues. And I think it's interesting, especially talking about the Benetton-inspired bus ads. You guys took a a very dark and serious thing but you responded to it in a way that was really sometimes uh, fun fresh uh stylized uh uh, sometimes even sexy i how did you how did you toe that line between wanting to communicate the severity of a very dark situation and to educate but also wanting to create something that energized and empowered
1: i think the first the most important piece i think first was the message what is the information that we can that we want to give and how can we give it in the most clear in the most succinct in the most understandable way so that one of the things that we did was that at no time in do the visuals overwhelm the message in a, a grand fury piece the visuals are always in the back even with our poster aids um, menus comments or beat it you know even though there's a there's a huge erection on it there's all this text around it that you read Mm-hmm. That you see before you actually focus on the erection, which was in the middle of the poster. So I think that the for us it was the information was the most most important thing, and then as I said, we had very smart, savvy designers who said, okay, this is what we can do. So we would come up with we would toss around some ideas about how can we do this. You know what would look good with this? For example, we did one, one piece that was called the eye, the um, Grand Fury Eye Test. We call it the Grand Fury Eye Test. It was for a show that the um, that was the Millennium Show that was a, a, a bunch of museums in New York were doing. They offered us a um, subway card. So they're you know, maybe two feet square cards that oh, go up in the subway. And um it was in the middle of winter. So we said, all right, what's the best image that would, you know, get people to look at this? And we went, Of course, a tropical beach. It's the winter it's winter in, in, in New York City, it's snowing, it's hideous, it's cold we put a beach up there. And then we did a a text. So we put up this warm, beautiful image of a beach. And then on top of that, we overlay a text about what was happening with AIDS at the moment. I think the the tagline at the bottom was AIDS is not over for anyone until it's over for everyone. But we did it in a way that the text, um, you actually had to go up to the subway card; You couldn't see you couldn't read it you could see that there was text there so one of the things that we always wanted to do is we wanted to force people to engage the piece so you had to go up you had to look at it and really peruse the piece and then it was just fun to watch people respond but the the, but what we realized like we wanted to involve you and we knew that if you just said it blatantly sometimes that's not going to work people are just not going to do it But if you put it in a way that was subtle or put it in a place that people were not expecting to see it, Mm -hmm. then before they knew it, they were engaging with the piece and they were reading and seeing the information.
0: This idea of disruption, it seems to be a major component of the Grand Fury strategy. Absolutely. Um, And I'm thinking everything from your your kind of radical street level graphics, uh, putting information and political messaging in a place where maybe people are expecting advertising and marketing. uh, the idea of doing things in kind of established cultural institutions, um, things that are non-traditional and, and unexpected. I'm thinking of your piece where you, uh, you guys filled the New York Times newspaper, right, the me, New New York newspaper dispensers right. uh, with information right. on, on AIDS and HIV. Right. Um, the, the street signs that had information about homelessness. How, mm-hmm. did, how did you guys, how did, how did this develop? How did you hit on the strategy? Like, when did you discover that it would be so successful? And this is the way to, to get that information out there and to get people to pay attention.
1: What we did, if I remember, if I remember the discussion um, correctly, what we, we were, we heard, okay, ACT UP is doing their second Wall Street demo. So it's like, okay guys, we have to do something for the ACT UP demo. So we had to think about what we wanted to do. And we said, we well, don't want to do a sign and we don't want to, you know, we want to do something that people are, you know, that is, is going to make it memorable and so what we did was we started to brainstorm and we said well maybe we should do and i forgot who said maybe we should do something like with the new york times or something like that and so from there we said okay what we're going to do going to be four pages the size of the new york times and the times the way the you know copying the font and the entire look of the new york times we're going to rename it the new york crimes and we're going to have various members of act up write the articles and the articles were all aids information the night before the demo, I think Avram had this, Avram Finkelstein had this idea. He, he said, let's go downtown. And because we, we only had, you know, it was, it was just two, essentially two pages of the newspaper or four pages of the newspaper, and that was it. So he said, how are we going to get this to people? Well, um, we said, all right. Um, and because breaking the law was something we enjoyed doing, we said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go downtown. We're going to open up the news boxes. We're going to wrap our paper on top of the New York Times and then put all the papers back in the newsstand so that so that everyone and then it was just fun to watch people buy the New York Times and grab it. You know, and because we did it in Wall Street. So people were grabbing them in Wall Street and walking, you know, putting the Times under their arms and walking away and taking it into their office. And, in places like that. So we realized that it was, a, it was a perfect way to distribute it because people were not picking up on it until they actually, again, until they started reading it and said, what is this about? This is not the Times. The Times made no, or again, the Times made no comment about what we had done. So I think it was, um, I think it was our desire, on, and in and, and some way we realized that too much information sometimes can make people complacent, Sometimes it's useful to shock people. Not all the time, but there are times that it's useful to shock people to make them actually pay attention. Because I think now, for example, now a lot of AIDS information, uh, people see it and their eyes glaze over because there's so much of it now that people don't actually pay attention to it anymore. So for that piece, I think we were fortunate in that we came up with that strategy that worked. And because we were working with an organization that you know we... Would break the law and ACT UP would break the law. Now, when we said what we were doing, the the floor, and the floor of ACT UP was generally about four hundred people every week. When we took took it to the floor. Everyone's like, yes, and so people just grabbed hand, and they just fanned out over the city to do it. So one of the fortunate things we had is that we worked with ACT UP and ACT UP would do things. You know, ACT UP was very willing to do stuff like that. So, um, so we
0: had individuals who would volunteer to do stuff for us all the time, which is great. You mentioned that today people's eyes might possibly glaze over. Do you, do you think that in the current digital realm that if you had to respond today to this that you would maybe take a different approach? Yeah,
1: it, this is a, it's interesting. This is a conversation we've had. Um, last year, um, no, two years ago, Grand Fury did a retrospective. Um, we had stopped working in 94. We were approached by NYU to, and they offered us one of their galleries um, around Washington Square to do a retrospective. And we decided, you know what? This is the opportunity to say, okay, we were saying, this is our work, and this is not Grand Fury, all right? So we wanted to be clear about what our work was. And so so we were able to do that. And so one of the things we had to do was have a conversation. Um, we were invited to have a conversation with the, I guess, the art and design group of Occupy Wall Street at that time. It was a funny conversation because um, some of the people, I don't know if you kn- knew how Occupy Wall, they were sort of as Antarctic as... As act up could be, so people would flow in and out of meetings, and and so you were never really sure about who was doing what and what. So be- oh yeah, I'm in the design. yeah baby yeah well yeah I was there last week. So so we had people talk about it, and they were saying well, and they asked us what we do, and we were uh, part. Our first response is probably nothing, and let people who are familiar with that medium do it. I mean, because we're you know in some ways we're old, we are old school. We're all middle aged. We're all so we're all we were like I don't know. And and it's and it's a hard question because we're so inundated. Now, I mean, we were inundated. I mean, one of the fortunate things was that living in New York, or living in a large city, you always had um, the um, the visuals on a street. You have posters, you had storefronts, and you had and so you would, when you walked on the street, you would engage things like that. And so for us in New York, that worked because if we put up a piece that looked like something, it was something else. It would be interesting enough to engage people, and then they'd realize what it was, and then they would, you know, walk away or, or be supportive, whatever it was. So, uh, but now, I mean, we're inundated with so much imagery, and you know, so much, um, so so much like hyper-designed work that we see on the internet that it's it's difficult to to say, okay, how can we do something that is effective? And I mean even you know, sort of these days shock you know that we've raised the bar on shock value so i mean you know without you know, without getting too, too ridiculous it's like what are we what are we going to do um, so we we we're not sure about it we've we've talked about it we're not we've decided we're not going to do any work any more work but um we have always you know we we wonder about how to do it we're not we're not clear about how we would do it if we to approach approach it because there's there's um it's a different medium for
0: us mm-hmm uh, what advice would you give to um, organizations working today? Like, how should, what should they take into consideration? How should they approach their topic?
1: I think that as an ad- advertising, you have to um, envision your look. What, what is your, we used, I think it was Futura Bold, was our, was our font, and we used that all the time. And people would recognize it, people who got, were familiar with the work went, oh yeah, it's Grand Fury, they always used the same font. So you have to establish sort of a, a visual identity so that people can recognize what you're doing and can reference so that after a while, you actually may not have to give any background. People can look at it and say, oh, I know I know who that, who that is. So I, I think that that's really important. And, and I think that it, it's aesthetics, it's that, let me repeat this, aesthetics are important. Yeah. I mean, you have to do things that actually are visually pleasing to people. Because if it's not, then they're not going to read the message you're gonna have a, and they're not going to have a, a good or, you know, they're not going to have a positive response. They may not have a, a good response to the message. But until uh, if you're giving something to them that's visually pleasing, they will at least be seduced enough to look at it to say, OK, what is this? And then you can you, once you get them, then you can, you know, you can do what you want with them. With a message, but I think that it's it's important to do that. It's important to understand that there are you know there are parameters. I mean, there are things that people like to look at. and People, you know, there's sort of the old fundamental design stuff that you hear. Things like you know, which I'm really dating myself. Things like you know, the golden section, which gives you you know what which is which is considered uh, for all human beings like an aesthetically pleasing proportion. People like it. And the architect, architecture is based on it. You know, I mean, design uses it in designing houses. I mean, it's something that's universal. Um, the Nautilus shell is, is considered a, you know, the, so, the, so they're natural things that actually you can use that people respond to not consciously. You know, we just, it's like, oh, okay, that's pretty. I like that. You're speaking so,
0: our language, Robert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so I think that that's, that's important to do that. I think another thing is to be very clear about what your message is. Be succinct about your message. The wordiest piece that Grand Fury did was the piece that we did in Rome. I mean, in Venice, in the Venice Biennale. The, the Pope piece, the Pope piece, which was it's 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 actually the wordiest, and we fought about it, but we said yes. This is a this is a, you know this is a golden opportunity to you know to like launch something at the Catholic Church. Let's do it as clearly and as completely as possible, and we did. But um, but it is the wordiest piece that we've ever done. So I think that you have to um, understand what your message is, see how that message is conveyed clearly that it's understood, that people understand it. You have to have respect for your audience. Never talk down to the people that you're doing work to. Or one of the fun things about one of the things about Fury is that after a while, and we we, we noticed this, not very many other people would ever say this to us directly, but we realized that we had developed a really snarky tone after a while. <laughs> and that we were like, okay, you know, can we like pull back on it? No, let's not pull back on the story. Let's just let's just do it anyway. And so so we would do pieces like um we did a billboard in New York that uh, when Magic Johnson came out about being HIV positive, uh, our billboard said, we need more than magic to end the AIDS crisis. And so, and we were like, whoa, you know, is that really? And we went, yes, let's do this. Let's do this. And people were offended. But uh, what it did was it suddenly took it out of um, sort of the realm of, oh, sweet Magic Johnson and other poor guy. But it's, it's like... Oh no, Magic Johnson has AIDS. All right, and 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 this is actually a real problem. So we were able to get the message out very quickly, very clearly, in a way that people could understand us. And I think that that's and if you can make the piece, if you can make it memorable, it works. I mean, uh, kissing doesn't kill is probably, it's probably our most successful piece. Um, it's gotten the most life. It and it became the the strange thing is that kiss, kissing doesn't kill. You know, it's three couples, a black man and a a white woman, who are actually a gay man and a lesbian, and then two men and then two women. And the top, it said, kissing doesn't kill, greed and indifference do. But what happened to us, the piece was designed for art on the road. It was a bus poster that was going to go on the size of buses. But the tagline underneath that said, corporate greed and political indifference make and something else i forgot now make aids a political crisis that was the pe- that was the entire piece the that bot that that part got oh it's always been dropped out especially when it when it became public so you have to understand who your audience is and who's paying for this and what people are going to put up with because the minute we had corporate greed up there the funders we had we can't do this you cannot talk about corporate greed all right the same way that when we did the piece in Art Forum, we wanted to do the piece that's called Control. We wanted to do a piece again, it was an interruption. We wanted to put it in the ads. And you know, if you know Art Forum, the first half of the magazine, if not two thirds of the magazine, are is actually ads. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we wanted to put it. He said, We want to put it there where no one is expecting something like this. Art Forum said, No, do not fuck with our bread and butter. You are not putting it there. <laughs> You're putting it, you know, further on in the magazine. So you have to know. Sort of where to put it, what you know, who the audience is going to be, what the message is going to be, and then be be clear about you know understand that once it goes out there, it goes out there. And I would say you know unless you say something horrific, don't be defensive about it. Uh, we never we were never defensive of what we did. You know people said you know we were offended by we were offended by that penis. Well you know but a lot of people are offended by penises. You know su- such as life. So um, so we would do things like, we like, would never apologize for the work we did. So I think it's important to, to sort of have all of that stuff to understand what the message is, who your audience is, what language you're speaking. Make sure that you're speaking in a language that your audience understands. We had the audacity to do a piece in Montreal that turned out to use the slogan from the Quebec separatist group. It was the exact same slogan for the separatists. We pissed off the Canadian government <laughs> because, because we, were not, we did not do research. It was one of the few times that we didn't do enough research to say, wait a minute, this is not what we should be saying because suddenly it went from AIDS to you know, the politics of, of, of self, um, self-determination. So, so it's really clear to understand what you're saying, how you're saying it. Be clear that your message is what you want to say if you can try to eliminate, never put out an ambiguous message. Never try never to give out a message that people are going to mm, what do they mean by that? You know. Always be very clear. If you can be funny, if you can be witty, fine. That it always it's always helpful, you know, you get as as my grandmother used to say, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. So try to try to do that. Try to be charming if possible but and understand what your res- resources are work in mediums that you understand and you feel comfortable with don't try to d- if you've never done video don't do videos all right <laughs> despite everything you see on youtube those people actually do know what they're doing <laughs> in terms of videoing stuff so please use mediums that you understand that you know do not overtax your resources always make work that you can afford to do if you can get someone to fund it fabulous but if you can't do stuff that you can you know of Act Up our flyers and Act Up we used to joke about the fact that we would say we have corporate sponsors because people would go to their offices at night and run off a hundred flyers or a thousand flyers you know it's like and, and then come back you know and we would do it. so we would joke about Act Up's corporate sponsors you know who are our corporate sponsors oh Bank of New York Chase Manhattan you know we would just, everyone would do that so so you have to understand what your resources are do not, and don't overtax your resources. Just one more thing about that. Don't be discouraged about, um, people are gonna look at the work, You know, sometimes they're gonna like it or not like it. Fine, don't be discouraged about that. I mean, because that's the reality of it. The, the most important thing is you get the message out there. Mm-hmm. You, can, you have no, you have almost no control over how people can gonna respond. You can sort of guide them with whatever the imagery is, what the message is, and all, but you have no control over how they're going to respond. And don't be surprised by some of the weird sort of takes that people come up with. It's like, where did you get that from? How did you get that from what we said? Because that happens, and it
0: happens a lot. I'd like to change gears just a bit. Sure. Um, you're actually visiting Tacoma today because Grand Fury is part of Art Aids America at the Tacoma Art Museum, which is a survey of the subject of HIV and AIDS in American art, and uh, actually one of the co-curators, Rock Hushka, uh, has actually said that um, Grand Fury is is one of the the major inspirations for this this exhibition. You're one of the main reasons it happened. How did you become a part of it? How did it come about?
1: Um, Rock approached us maybe a year ago Mm -hmm. to say they're having this show it's AIDS show, we wanna put, you know, we wanna put some Grand Fury stuff in there. And um, at this point in time, I mean, Grand Fury, we've mellowed out. I mean, there was a time that we had very specific demands when, we, when people wanted our work. I mean, one of our demands used to be, it has to be public. Mm-hmm. It's a billboard, it's in the window of a museum, or it's a bus, it's something, but it has to be public. It is not sitting on the wall in a gallery. Now we sit on the wall in the gallery, actually, unfortunately, because now we become, now we've become part of the canon just which we sort of we laugh at but um so he just approached us maybe a year ago maybe or so and just said this is a show we wanted to let the re-. and he said we want to show let the record show let the record show was the first grand fury well actually grand fury became grand fury after let the record show but um he, it was the first piece that we had done and we were like fabulous this is one of the most extensive pieces we'd ever done it was, you know, it was like a heartbeat, it, and it became, because, because we are, um, two things we, we were, for the longest time, we did not, we, we said we were not going to become art personalities, meaning the individual members of the collective, we never talked about who was in the collective, it was always Grand Fury. We said it is a collective, and it's Grand Fury, and we l- always left it there. And the second thing that um, we would say, aside from um, the work that had to be public, was that, I now I, I
0: forgot what the second thing was. Um, Action, not art? We were not making art objects. That's what it was, thank you. I think you're quoted in an interview as saying uh, that uh, Grand Fury never wanted to see a piece at auction 25 years later at Sotheby's. It's true, it's true.
1: Um, and we learned that some some millionaire bought, uh, bought one of the bus posters and has it in his collection now. Which, and all of us were very clear about that. We did not want to make art objects. These were not art objects. These were, activist aids activist graphics these were tools for people to talk about the epidemic this was not something to hang on your wall it now hangs on your wall so um, but um, but that was our intention was not to make that stuff so he came up he asked us about he said you know he and Jonathan came to New York said you know can we do this we went sure and it, it's a sign how we mellowed out because we just went okay sure put it in the show and then we were like okay we'll get you the information we'll get you the gra- you know whatever you need yeah. And so it ended up in the show. I, uh, until later, we found out that he had built the show around Grand Fury and st- And then we went, oh, if we had known that, you know, if we <laughs> had known how central we were to the show, then we would have made some other, you know, we would have made some other, we would have gone back to, okay, well, it has to be in the window of the museum then. Mm-hmm. No. So, um, but, and so he, I, I, I guess he built the show from that, from that piece. I mean I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm. I mean, I. No, we've all seen it actually. I thought, well, we've seen the. See, I've seen it in person. Everyone else has seen it in the catalog, and it's 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 a pretty good depiction of the piece, actually.
0: And, and along with Grand Fury, it, it includes work by some really notable artists: Barbara Kruger, Robert Maplethorpe. Does participation in this lineup does it fall in line with the with the Grand Fury mission, being being part of an exhibition with people who are, are more art than activists?
1: But we were in the Venice Biennale you
0: know, <laughs> you, know you, can't more, you can't get more artsy fartsy than that I mean
1: we were in a, you know, in the Millennium show we did that subway card and they had the party and I was sitting at a table because of course again alright someone has to represent I'll represent I went, I'm, sitting at, I'm sitting at a table with Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holzer and we're talking about stuff yeah, and so it was like and at one point I just went like what the hell am I doing here and And so, and everyone that started teasing me like, did you get Barbara's number you know do you are you going to hang out with Jenny and stuff like that but i mean we we realized we had grand fury had a very very we we were in a very precarious position we wanted to use the art world, but we didn't want to be co-opted by it, and we knew that it was very easy to be co-opted by it in some ways we were because because museums institutions were saying well if we do a grand fury piece then we've done something about AIDS so we're, we're you know we're socially conscious we're being responsible not you know we've done what we're supposed to do so it was it was difficult because that's one of the reasons why for example we always said put it in the street mm-hmm. put it out. don't put it in the gallery
0: um so do you th- uh, I mean do you think that's the main difference between uh, just kind of comparing your work to uh, like Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holzer, I mean, there are, very, there are some similarities with the way that you use text and imagery and uh, even uh, there's an, an activist element in, in, in all of the work. Yes. Uh, where, where, what is the difference? What is the difference? Is it the idea of being co-opted or? I think, I think part of the difference um, was, yes. and, 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 and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think mm-hmm. it's interesting now too, in the history books, your work is alongside each other. Yeah, 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 I, uh, yeah, I know. It's, um, I think that
1: um, our focus, Grand Fury came from a group of people that were working as activists who had a particular message they had to put out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm not, I'm, I'm no way saying that, you know, Barbara Kruger or anyone else, you know, or, or, or that we're better in any way than they are. But we had a very clear message as to what we were doing. And we were very clear that we were going to use the art world. Very specifically, and we were always very clear about using the art world. We're not going to be, we don't have any desire to be part of the art world. We want to use the art world and its resources to get to get work out. So consequently, our work always went out of the art world. It was directed out of the art world. Whereas with some with some work, it just, it stays in there. And it becomes sort of, you know, it becomes a hall of mirrors where everyone starts to reflect each other. Mm-hmm. And we had no desire to do that. I mean, we had it an actually, and, and another thing was uh, is a sense of urgency. I mean, we were we were we were talking about an epidemic that was killing people on a daily basis, so we had no time to sort of waste time and negotiating sort of and going through all of the stuff that one has to go through when one's in the art world, you know. So. But it was—it was always a very, very clear for us that it was—that it was very, you know, it was a very, very fine line that we were treading when we were in Grand Fury. That it's like, okay, you know, and we would qu- sometimes talk about pieces like, you know, are we getting too sort of arty? Is this, you know, is this, you know, are we sort of doing going too far in that direction? And we tried to—we tried to stay honest in the work that we did. So I think.
0: I mean, did you ever run into the issue where um, if you went in one direction, you were—you were kind of. Responding and speaking to one demographic of people, and then if you went to another, like because different kind of demographics respond to different things. Like in the context of the art world, you're definitely visible to a certain audience. Where on the street, you're visible to another.
1: Right, but people in the art world go out in the street, and people and people from the you know from the street actually you know go into the art world. So we, what we tried to do is tread, stay. Uh, most important, I think, part was being public. That was that it was an understanding that. The way the way that we spoke and the way that we presented ourselves was very specific. It was the way that we did it. We had we've always said, do the work. You know your audience. Do the work that you want to do based on the audience that you want to reach. I mean, in some ways, in the beginning, we certainly were snarky and talking to the art world. Well, we did the art. You know. The, the, I mean, the art, art is not enough stuff is really sort of, you know, it's like giving, giving the art world, you know, it's biting the hand that, feed, that feeds us. Because we would say, we would tell them, no, don't do paintings about, you know, it, paintings about AIDS are not useful at this point in time. We need to do more than that. In some ways, we, and, and it's, I hate to say it, but I know that for us, there were times we felt that people were like, oh, you're the conscience of the art world. It was like, fuck you, we are not the conscience of the art world, you know. But people start started to see us that way.
0: So going back to the Tacoma show, uh, there's been some recent controversy around the exhibition.
1: I mean, I I have to say I didn't follow a lot of it, but um, a large show, a hundred plus artists, mm-hmm. I think. And um, but unfortunately, as always happens in sort of big shows like this. Um, representation um, sort of falls by the wayside sometimes so for example it's 100 plus artists and there are only 25 women that was it, only 25 women and I, I'm not even sure if there are any women of color in that, in that group of women that were there so, and, um, so in sort of in a similar vein, what we had were young black activists who went to the show and said we are not represented here there were, they said there were four there were four black artists there Their argument was that, you know, the epidemic disproportionately affects African-Americans in this country, which is true. And, you know, we should see that in the show. And um, some of us, myself included, would say, well, let's separate this out. The show has problems with representation for a a lot of different groups. And so the, the show in that respect is problematic. What we cannot do is change the history that Happened. The, the show is a very particular time. In that time, there were not a lot of African American artists doing specific work about AIDS. Yesterday, what I heard was, which, which I loved, and I, I, I have to say I'll steal it, but it was like that's bullshit. But what they said was, okay, well, the work, you know, every piece that an African American does carries that history with them. It's like you know what, not necessarily. It's not. It depends on the piece, it depends on what it's saying, and not everyone reads the history into the piece, so you have to be very clear about that. The, pe- the pieces in that, in that show were very specifically talking, you saw that every piece was pretty much specifically talking about AIDS in some way. <laughs> and so the problem was that there weren't a lot of African-American artists doing that at the time, or not, not recognized, not seen, people were, didn't hear from them. I'm sure there were artists doing work, people were not seeing it, people didn't see it. I mean, and part of that goes back to the problems about representation, the problems about access. You know, in the museum, who gets who gets shown in the museum? You know, who has? I mean, our we were fortunate. We had our, we knew the art world. We had art world connections, so we were able to do that. But not everyone has that access. So, um, so that that was part of the difficulty with that is that the whole piece about representation. I and I absolutely agree that. They, should have, they really should have made an effort to be broader. And the way to do that is actually to leave the museum and go out into the world and say, okay, people, who's out here? Who's doing what? And you know, let us know. And unfortunately, curators become very, very protective of their shows. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the curator. This is my show. And, you know, and, and it's mine. It's like it's not yours. So, so I think that um, part of the problem with the show is that. What they also wanted, to, But then what they also wanted to talk about was sort of the larger problem of um, African-Americans in the art world
0: mm-hmm.
1: in general. As for a lot of different um, uh, groups, you know, including women, including other people of color, you know, the representation is not great in the art world. And we were all clear about that. Everyone knows it's a dead white male canon. You know, it's been there. It, it exists in music. It exists in art, you know. Is it's in literature, so so we have to sort of mix that up. But um, so I think that what happened is the Tacoma, um, they they were embarrassed. They you know they they were like you're you're absolutely right, and I I I applaud them for having the response of saying you know what you were right. We you know actually did not do probably as, as extensive homework as we should have. So in some ways it became sort of a teaching moment. What'll come of that? I don't know. Now it now it's up to the community to make sure that the that the um museum does what they said they were going to do. And so I think they're planning to do some stuff. And yesterday they had a bunch of things, a kinda a kind of fashion show, uh some spoken words, some dance stuff and And so, you know, it was was an attempt to do something else that was not sort of traditional, that wasn't sort of the particular sort of art world thing that would happen. So, which is good. I mean, and controversy is always good. I mean, and you have to understand when you put stuff out, the same way that when you're making work and you put the work out there, you know, some people are going to go for it and some people are not going to go for it. And you're going to hear very vociferously about the people who don't
0: like the work. Mm Mm-hmm. Robert, thanks so much for being here and chatting with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Beyond This Point is created by Civilization, a design firm rooted in social change. The podcast is audio engineered by Dave West and produced by Eric Blood. Listen to more of our podcasts at beyondthispoint.design.